Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, Marcus. I'm a squirrel. <laughs> that was so out of left field. Okay, take a breath. All right. Also with us tonight, we have Neuro. How am I supposed to follow that? You can go, squirrel! <laughs> and with us again, we have Pinku. There's still Halloween candy here. There is still Halloween candy here. Danger-esque. <laughs> we caught Marcus trying to eat some, even though he's diabetic. Oh, I am eating we some. We shut that shit down. Wait, you're diabetic? We're here for you. diabetic. We're here oh for you. Oh my god, put that down! I know. What the hell? It's looking at me. Neuro, take it. There's got to be some kind of irony, because the guy that makes the marshmallow comic book is diabetic and has to have the sugar. <laughs> it's sublimation. I'm eating that thing. It's what is it? For meta? me. You're eating it for me, I'm right? I'm going to eat it for you. Also because I run, so I can. Mm. Mm, yum. It's a lollipop. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This uh, would be a great podcast. This is going to be just the best. Very <laughs> vanilla. Anyway. All right. Well, today we are coming back and talking about the comic Above the Clouds by our friend Melissa Pegluisa. Actually, an interesting little side note. Well, not a side note. It's an exciting bit of news. Next time, Melissa Pegluisa will be in the studio with us. Hurrah. Wow. Hurrah. I know, right? Yeah. We've been talking over email. Well, first Twitter, then email. And... Figured out a time that she's going to be able to come up and sit down. I don't know if she'll record both of the podcasts with us. We do two podcasts in a row because we're hardcore. Behind the scenes. Scheduling. And hopefully she'll come for both of them, but uh, definitely at least one of them. And so in preparation for that, I thought that we would get ourselves extra prepped and ready by looking through her comic, which has actually grown a great deal since the last time we looked at it. We actually never gave it an official spotlight because... Well, it was it was just starting when we first heard out about it. Of course, we're friends with her, and so we thought, oh man, we got to talk about it. So it was, I think, in housekeeping section originally. Yeah. Anyway, so we are so excited to get back through it. She finished her first issue a little while ago, and I believe that she's already selling it at conventions. I think at the, this moment she is down in L.A. at a convention, as a matter of fact. Anyway, so we caught up with Melissa recently at Stockton Con and recorded a little interview, catching up with her a little bit and talking about her comics. So before we get started, why don't we go ahead and listen to that? Hey everybody, this is JP from Pandamanga.com. I'm here at StocktonCon with Melissa Pegluis, a longtime friend of Pandamanga.com and Geek Life. Hello! <laughs> hey! Well, first, I want to just thank you so much for spending some time and sharing with our audience all the really great advice you gave us on that podcast a couple weeks back. For those of you that missed it, we did a podcast talking about creatives and productivity and how it fits into your life and sent out some emails to some of our favorite webcomic writers and artists and got some of their opinions. And Melissa sent us back a great letter and was really a big addition to the podcast. So thank you for that. Oh, no, thank you for excellently summarizing my long email. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm really excited because you just finished issue one of your webcomic, Above the Clouds, which is now being translated into full printed issue form soon, right? Yes, hopefully by the end of this month, I'll have it out and ready for Sock Anime. That's my goal. Yes, so that's really exciting. So hopefully, we'll hopefully be there. We can come and, and hang out again. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about the comic now that because the f- last time we talked, you hadn't it hadn't even started yet, so we haven't had an interview in a while, and you're on the other side of creating the entire first issue, moving into the second issue. So tell us what was that like, and just tell us about the comic. Well, 
Well, Above the Clouds is uh, a story about a young girl who gets her heart broken. And she decides instead to focus on this book and she gets really absorbed into it. And halfway through, she finds out that it's not finished. And so the story is about her trying to get the author to complete the book. And it kind of parallels her life and the story of what's going on in the book. The book itself parallels her life? Yes. Right. Now, something I noticed, because I've been reading it as it's been coming out on the web, and something I noticed that I thought was really awesome and bold is that the only parts that really have dialogue or very much, or like any, really any dialogue, is the book. Whereas everything else is all gestures and facial expressions and body language to really describe like very clearly what's going on. Like there, there was never a point where I was reading and was going like, so what's happening here? Like I didn't miss the words. And I just wanted to say that's, first of all, amazing. Oh, I'm so glad that it's translating well. It is. And it's amazing. I do it for a few reasons. Um, one, I could focus on just the artwork. Sure. And two, it speeds up the process so I don't have to write out all the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly it's because I, since this is my first attempt at a comic, I wanted to focus on the craft of telling a story visually. And I thought that was really important. And doing that helped keep my focus in that direction. Well, it comes through amazingly. And I have to say that, I mean, your art is always just really extraordinary. And I can remember when you were first saying that you wanted to do a comic, I thought to myself, I wonder what the art's going to look like in the comic. Because everything that Melissa does, if you guys haven't seen her stuff, looks like it should be on the cover of something. And I thought, I wonder if that's what she's going to take to each page. And the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's, it's rendered to just an amazing level every single page. It doesn't have that, the cover's beautiful and the inside's all right. It's not like that at all. It's all really gorgeous stuff. Um, where is the inspiration for the the look of the character in the book? Because it's very different. You know, it's not just people. It's the, you know, there's a cloak and it's which is amazing. It's sort of reminiscent of Journey. Yeah, definitely. I remember watching my friend Gabriel play Journey. This I've only seen it once, and he's just started playing this game. Like, what is this game? It's, it's amazing. so beautiful. And I like the simplicity of the character, but I think I kind of drew my inspiration a little bit from. I don't know if you remember Final Fantasy IX, Phoebe. Sure. I like the idea of a character, like for instance even in Howl's Moving Castle, you had these characters that had to express themselves without using expressions and I thought that was a great flip to the idea of her world with no words right. you now have a character that has to express itself without expressing its face. So the two sides one side, no words, all body language and facial expression, and the other side, you do have words and dialogue and narrative, but no face. Yeah. So there's a neat duality there, that's awesome. Yeah, I tried to put that, and I'm trying to use symbolism, but... Of course. So, so basically what it sounds like is you set out and you said, what's the hardest thing I could do? <laughs> no. I tried to do the opposite. I tried keeping it as simple as possible. I even kept to a, a very simple storyline. In fact, I, I started Above the Clouds because I remember last time we talked, I had this other comic idea that I wanted to do. Right. And I still want to revisit it, but I realized I was making it too precious and it was taking me two years and I was writing out all these scenes and I realized I wasn't getting anywhere so right. I had to step away from it and I'm like something simple and I can't make it too precious and I just have to one page a week and just go for it. And so what's the projected size of at clouds or above um, the clouds? Sorry it's at clouds.com but 
Yeah. Above the clouds. Um, so what's the size you're looking I've, at here? It's going to be a short comic. I okay. know that. And I already know how it's going to end. There's, you know, the th a three-act story. And so I can't say for sure how long it's going to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've already, I already see the ending in sight. And I'm working towards that ending. Right, but it's um, just not an ongoing, yeah, it's long not term. Be an you have ongoing a, okay, so thing. it's it's you're planning a short story, then come out as a graphic novel sort of thing. Yeah, awesome. keeping it simple, trying to keep it simple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been enjoying it so much, and uh, for those of you that want to check it out, you go to atcloudscomic.com. So, just thanks again for hanging out with us a little bit, and uh, we look forward to seeing your stuff in the future. All right, thank you very much. For sure. <laughs> Thanks again, Melissa, for taking time and talking to us at the convention. Your tables are always very busy, so we always appreciate that you spend some of your precious time with us and uh, indulge us in our many questions. We are so looking forward to visiting with you next time. But today, let's get into your comic. So you can read Above the Clouds at atcloudscomic.com. So if you're interested in following along at home, go right ahead. So, like Melissa said in the interview, the main st the story is sort of like two stories in one. You have the main character who has her heart broken. In the first couple pages, it seems like there's a bunch of soldiers sort of coming back from a battle or travel or something. It's not again. There's no there's no text boxes in this part of the story, and so all those sort of little details are just left for our imagination. Anyway, so the main character, which we later find her name is, is it's almost spell it for you, E-I-L-Y. So I'm going to say Ely, okay? That's kind of what I thought. So Ely, she is waiting for everybody to come back, and there's there's this very handsome soldier that's coming down the road along with the other soldiers. Yeah, he's hot. <laughs> and her, her characters are, anyway. So coming down, and she sort of connects with him. You can see each other, no, them notice each other. And then he sort of peels off and heads in a different direction to this other girl. And she's like, oh, I'm so sad. And I get the sense that maybe she's the same age as the other girls, but that she's smaller or something. Oh, really? Because, well, it seems like it because there, she seems to assume and expect to be able to... Like, woo, how are you going to have, your, yeah, how are you gonna have your heart broken if someone's not, you know what I mean? If someone's like 10 years older than you and you're a little kid, I guess you could have your heart broken anyway. Well, no, honestly, I, it didn't read like that to me at all because I remember being a little kid having crushes on That's true, guys. that's true. So, I mean, and there's some other stuff that indicates she's kind of young too. Yeah, she, I mean, she does him. seem younger, but. It might be because when we were little kids, John, we never had crushes on big guys. Yeah, so, I think we didn't connect that same way. This is probably true. Probably because. Anyway, so the gentleman that is the, the focus of her affections is obviously entranced by someone else and so then another person who she's not attracted to but they seem to have sort of a friendly kind of fun relationship lighthearted. they sort of razz each other brotherly. yeah 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 definitely familial yeah it's very familiar very chill very relaxed not, not totally platonic and he comes along and smacks her on the head with this book that he brings back from his travels and, you know, I guess just as a little gift and he kind of s s slips off and <laughs> he goes off and starts showing his muscles to these other girls, which had me just in stitches. So funny. Anyway, so she's kind of like, well, uh, and so she takes off and starts reading this book. And then the story flips and it goes into the story of these people who are protecting this giant like life tree. Right. And I guess they're called the caretakers or at least the main character who, you know, who sort of ends up being the focus of the book is the caretaker. And so the thing is, is that the tree, who it is like the, the, the source of life, right, it starts to get sick and die. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're praying to the wind and they're not hearing anything. And then the caretaker eventually hears from a bunch of birds that there's a dragon and it is eating the roots and it's killing the tree. And so his job 
he basically is tries to go back and fix it and off on a journey he goes. I don't want to give away too much of the story because it's really, really cool. But that's the basic idea. As she's reading this story, though, it gets to a place in the book where halfway through, there's just blank pages for the rest of the book. And she's like, wait, what? And she's totally getting along with her. I myself was getting really into it. And I'm kind of like, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> ah! So it's, it's great because Melissa pulls from us the same emotion that the characters experiences because... I'm reading the story and I'm enjoying it and it's going at a good pace and really, really interesting. And all of a sudden, boom, sort of at an unintuitive spot, it stops. Game of Thrones. <laughs> and so the same thing happens with the character and the character sits back and goes, what? What's going on? She flips through the pages and she sees the name at the bottom, crediting the person who wrote the book, whose name is Cian McGregor. Later on in issue two, she actually tries to get a hold of him and writes him a letter. So that's sort of all the story more or less. I'm not going to I'm leaving out some things because I want you guys to discover some of the some of the great story on your own when you go to read it yourselves. But that's essentially the premise of what's going on. So let's go ahead and as we always do, we'll break it up into two parts. We'll talk about the story first and then we'll talk about the art. Now, I'm guessing ahead of time that we'll probably have more to say about the art than the story at this time because it's still early in the story. And I think that that is due to her choice, like she said in the interview, to focus on visual storytelling, which takes more page real estate. Not only that, but she's also split it into a main subline and then uh, the, the, the book itself. Absolutely. So there's two stories in this, what, what we have to look at so exactly. far too. Exactly. I myself am really excited about where she's taking it. I think it's very cool to have two separate things. It reminds me kind of of what it feels like to read and really get absorbed in a good book. It made me have that feeling, you know, when they transition from her running off and sitting down and being frustrated about being passed by by her love interest and she sits down and starts in reading the book the way that it transitions into that and goes to this magnificent scenery and this really majestic story it's like it's so recognizable to sitting down with a good book and being whisked away into a different world and i think it was kind of smart split into two different stories too because yeah. you're obviously more interested in the life of tree story where i'm more interested in the girl story and her interaction with the different characters in her it's, world. Yeah, it definitely has something for everybody. You know, I think that I think that it's cool because it allows for her to hit many different sort of emotional points where you got the the story of like the big quest and saving the world and magic and all these things and then at the same time you also have this very interpersonal and real and relatable uh challenge of the he said, she said, and, you know, I like them, but they don't like me back. And how do I feel about that? And how do I deal with that? And I throw myself into this because I'm feeling frustrated. And, oh, no, that's not complete either. And where can I find refuge in life? And it's just such a cool thing because it really it really hits so many different points. It really is relatable to a lot of different people or just in a lot of different ways. So I, I agree with you there. That's really cool. Yeah, I just I just think the the outside story is definitely, like you said, it has a lot of more aspects that are more common and uh, not a cliche. I almost feel like the, the the tree of life thing is actually a cliche where as a human being, I can connect more with the girl and, and what's going on in her life. Definitely. Definitely. It seemed very uh, never ending story to me where it goes yes, through like the yes. order, this is the this is her life. This is the thing she's not happy with. This is how she wants to grow. And she sort and of then, wanted to escape from it. Yeah. And then it starts this story that's just this unbelievable, like fantastic story. And I'm kind of hoping it goes in the same direction where they eventually get combined. I think yeah, that I think those two cool. stories merge somehow. It seems like what she was saying in the interview was that they run parallel and things that are happening in the story are going to be similar to the things that are really happening uh, no, to Ailey. That was sort of interesting because I was wondering about that in terms of the art, actually, which I guess we could talk about later on. Yeah, let's save that for just a few minutes down the road, but definitely put a pin in that because I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. One thing that I found myself almost recognizing in this work thematically 
was the the emphasis on like connection to nature and protecting nature from the evil forces. It had a very sort of Miyazaki feel because a lot of Miyazaki movies or Studio Ghibli or Ghibli, I don't know how however people say it. What's okay. Ghibli? Ghibli is it Ghibli? Yeah. I want to say Ghibli, and that's that's they named it after the race, huh? like Italian race car company or race car, yeah, something like that. It has to do with Italian racing, and when they so read it's not it, a Japanese word. No, no when they no. read it in Japanese, they use the Jeet character. Oh, I so see. So it's Ghibli or something. All right, so Studio Ghibli. Anyway, the Studio Ghibli films, which if any of you haven't experienced those, you should drop everything. After the podcast, because of course you want to listen to us. But. I was going to say I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you want to drop everything and go check those out. Have you not? Have you not seen those? Before? I've never even oh, heard of that. Studio Ghibli is, Ghibli. That is going to end, sir. We're going to fix that. That is a serious business. We need to fix that that's, in a hurry. That's, that's really. <laughs> I just watched. Uh, there's a, a YouTube series that says the top ten and it does countdowns of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I watched a one that was the top ten anime movies, and I've seen one of them. Out of the top ten. Oh, we need to fix that. Oh, sir. So. <laughs> Movie night. Anyway, it really reminded me of of the Studio Ghibli stuff and a lot of the early Miyazaki stuff. You know, you get that that uh, sort of heavy emphasis on nature and our place within it and its fragility in the face of you know greater powers and evil and and you know the perversion of nature and things like that and and, and there's always a k- balance. Strength and weakness. Right. Exactly. So there's a lot of th- strong themes like that. And uh, and this immediately ma- reminded me of I want to say Nausicaa Valley of the Wind mm-hmm. sort of a feel to it you know yeah. where there's the one character who's you know the the storybook I'm talking about specifically is off trying to save things out in the world away from because the main character in the in the book the caretaker ends up way away from the tree and it seems that in their world that's unheard of everybody stays really close to the tree. So there's definitely a very grand feeling to that. And it just reminded me immediately of Ghibli, which I'm sure was an influence on Melissa's work. She's definitely well-versed in anime and, and manga and everything like that. And she goes up to him and like she holds a book and he's like, oh, shit. And he like has her hide it. You know, that was actually the only panel in the entire story. I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. like she. Oh, OK. It's all I, I maybe. I so then so then maybe her friend that was bringing it back wasn't bringing it back but was giving him something giving her something that he made yeah Yeah. okay that's why she harasses him later that actually makes a lot more sense because he there's one panel where his face gets all blue Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i was like oh shit it's his it's true yeah my comic reading comprehension super low but that's why i'm a good noob (laughs) (laughs) well you know that is a risky run when you're gonna forego dialogue and Mm -hmm. narrative like that you know you cut the text out and then you have to have really super strong visual direction and visual storytelling, which she does. Absolutely. But there's some of those more particular nuances of who made the book that he's giving her. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's a little harder to to glean. Yeah. Of course, in the comments, which I'm, I'm kind of terrible about reading in, in the little comment description below each page post, there seems to probably be a lot more information about that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because more like Kamasa Laura is I, I can almost tell a little bit about her through this work itself i think it yeah it speaks about her so it's kind of interesting that it's also meta mirroring that the book's talking about right, its author, right. So. yeah that's really yeah. cool i really enjoy the the little triangle on a triangle i guess square oh, love square they're making with polygon um, yeah <laughs> it will, but but it seems like seems like ely's friend that gave her the book likes the right. person who her love interest likes yeah it's Sion or C I A N. Sian. Yeah. Sian, right? Sian. Yeah, Sian McGregor. Right. Okay, so C- Sian, and that's him? I have to assume so because uh, on one of the later pages, she uh, runs up to him holding the book in the air and, he, and he's, you know, among friends and probably chicks he's trying to hit or something. And he's trying just, to hit? Uh, you know, he's trying to hit that. But uh, 
No, he gets a little Not blue in a in violent the face. way. Oh, right, because he's a warrior. No, 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 no. The other kind of hit, the non-violent hitting. Right. Yeah. No, he gets a little embarrassed and he's getting her. He's making her hide the book all of a sudden. Right. That makes he sense. Just that gave it sense. to her. Man, I, that that feels like me a lot of times when I make. You're things. like, no, don't see. Don't show people that. <laughs> I do. I think it's interesting though, and I think that that'll play probably an important role in all that because they both have affection for someone that is that is unrequited, and those very same people are the ones that are together with each other. And how to communicate that somebody is affectionate and in love with someone without dialogue is tough. That is bravo because there, there's so much emotion and so much just said with the characters' faces. Her faces are so expressive, so expressive. It's just especially something about the eyes. Really, really very successful with that. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of sameness between them two. No, that's Definitely true. Definitely a lot of personality between the different character designs. But I guess we're not talking about the art yet. Actually, why don't we take a quick musical break? When we get back, we'll get into the art of Above the Clouds by Melissa Pegalisa. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. Welcome back to Geek Life. We're talking about Above the Clouds by Melissa Pagluisa. So, we've talked about the story. Let's move into the art. And I think this is this is going to be a good long conversation because I, <laughs> at first I was, you know what I find is that art that is good but not extremely good, it's easier to talk about because there, I, for some reason, I, I can't really quite quantify or explain why that is. Or art that has a lot of problems and is poor, also easy to talk about. But art that is like stupendously awesome, I find myself often feeling kind of at a loss for words. I just want to go like, gush, gush, gush. It's so JP like, yeah, JP like art. Yes. Pretty. Right. And I'm finding that as we get deeper into doing more and more reviews and stuff like that, that I'm beginning to get a better vocabulary for ex- describing things that I enjoy because it's easy to point out stuff I don't like, but I think it's a challenge. And so I was going into this kind of feeling like, oh, crap, am I going to have anything to say about the art other than uh, watch, read, amazing. <laughs> and and I found myself writing this insane list. I have 15 talking points. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is more than normal. <laughs> so what that says to me is that there's a lot going on here. And instead of it just being good, there are unique choices that she makes, especially with the visual direction, moving the story forward, explaining and describing how the characters are feeling and, and how they react to things. You know, there's not even really sound effects. Really. There's yeah, like there's, no text. None. I don't think there's need for it, too. Yeah. I mean, they're really. The, yeah. So anyway, 
it really is sort of like uh, this non-verbal, or it's it's really trying to convey a story, you know, non-verbally, and that means you know pulling all words out of it. And I think it's really bold, and I think it's um, actually pretty successful in this. Movie. If you read the About Us page, she actually says on there that she's not going to put words in her comic unless the words are written down in that world of the comic. So when Ely is writing the letter to Sian, asking like, "When is the book going to be done? When are you going to finish it?" Those words are there, even though that's in the you know quote real world in comparison to the book world. And then obviously the book world has text on the pages because we're essentially just seeing the pages of the book. But that's a decision that she made is that she doesn't want to have any text at all unless it is actually existing in the world. So very interesting. I tend to think it actually matches well with her drawing style because she has these lines that are really wavy and organic, for example. It's almost right? like this feeling of motion. Yeah, everything. exactly. It's like it, there's wind blowing everybody around. And or what something. that does is it taps into a certain type of way that you comprehend and, and consume things when you're not busy tying it to words. Mm. And I think that's a you know, a really strong point in her art in general, is it you know, it also taps into that really emotional quality that you have. So she's pretty much um just running on that momentum, I think, when you're going through the story. So it's really interesting, and I think she has to be really conscious about when she has to she breaks us out of that to add words to certain things. Right. Yeah. I think that removing most words, it allows there to be more impact when the words are there. You know, when there's when there's more of something, when you are flooded with a, a particular kind of media or information, it's easy for your eyes to glaze over and your he- head to roll back and just Bleh. And with this, the words are scarce, and so when they pop up, you notice them, and they have weight. More than they probably would in something where it's just blah, 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 like most comics are. So I thought that was an interesting choice because then, especially the words in the in the storybook have sort of a poetic, sort of melodic quality to them. Definitely. And it just, it allows you to, if, I, I don't know, maybe maybe lulls you into this rhythm of no words and then they show up and you're like, whoa, what's this? Words? I better pay attention to that. She must think this is important for put them in there because, man, she's avoiding them. Yeah, and then just a random observation. um, When I was actually reading through those nonverbal parts of the comic, I sort of could hear music playing and sound effects a little better, but mostly music. It felt felt like windy to me Right. You know, there was this, I don't know, there's just, she communicates just this this gentle motion. The best way I could describe it, this is going to sound silly, but, you know, you play... 2D, or I guess really any, but you you, you play like the, the fighting games, right? Mm-hmm. And when at rest, the characters just have this small amount of little wiggle and motion that they do, right? right? And it's kind of what it feels like where you see each of these pages with the characters all, I mean, and they're just a static image. He's not using animated GIFs or anything like that, but it, you almost feel like their hair is fluttering or their dress is waving or something. There's some, mm-hmm. a feeling of motion that's very well communicated. It's really cool. Yeah, there's nothing really static in her stuff. No, no, not at all. Now, of course, I got to get this out of my system. I like her line quality a lot. I think that it's really interesting. And I think that something that she does in particular that I think is cool is that instead of messing with her line quality and depth and, and thickness and everything like that based on the material or based on you know, whatever, it's based on a feeling, right? So like the feminine, delicate characters tend to have more delicate lines. The more masculine characters, they have sort of a thicker, sketchy feel to them. I didn't you know? catch that. That's cool. Well, it, it, it lends them to feeling kind of gruff. You know, the guys feel sort of like masculine and gruff. And, you know, and I don't mean that it's thick. Her lines, when they're thick, they're built up. It's not like pressing deeper on the, you know, you know, it's, it's not that sort of a brush look. It's more like we were talking last week, like a contour kind of feel, but it's built up. And so because of that, there's, you know, a couple errant lines that sort of stick out here and there. It's not a perfectly smooth, clear brush stroke. And that really works well with with the the warrior guys because they're they're there and they're they're you know talking to each other and they're drinking and you can almost hear the music and feel the fire in the room and you know it just has that sort of 
mead hall sort of feel. You know, it reminded me of of the scene of everybody drinking and being merry in the uh, in Beowulf, the 3D movie, where mm-hmm. it's just that that like mm-hmm. Viking, like <laughs> you know, it's just like good times, meat, music, you know, fun, and, and it's just it has that energy to it, and it's great because you see the women and they look delicate, they look really feminine, more than just the form themselves, but the way that the form is communicated in the line is very different. It's very cool, and it's not just something that happened once in a while. Because I was thinking, oh, maybe that's just something that happened, and it's unintentional, but it's totally intentional. No, I see what you mean, actually. I didn't notice that when you mentioned it, but now looking through it, yeah, I can see how uh, some of the lines are built up the way you oh, mentioned. John strikes again. Oh, nice. Good, good job. Yeah, um, but what's great about that is the fact that it was, it's sort of like second read material where you just go through and you only notice it later. So yeah. it's not so jarring that it's going to be like, oh. It's-, it's all stuff that informs your subconscious. And a lot of the stuff that I try and pull out and actually mention out loud when we're talking about comics is second read type material is the sort of stuff that I would argue informs your subconscious about how to feel about this picture. Because you see a picture and there's lots of ways to corral your viewer into feeling or thinking a certain way in, you know, reacting to it a certain way. And this is one of those things. And, and I think that I personally really, I love that stuff. I think good art should be able to make you feel a different way from before and after the viewing you know see when i think they do something special like that some uh, a different technique than the norm and it goes right over my head to me that means they did it right exactly because <laughs> exactly you, you, you got to look hard for these kind of things yeah, and that's you don't the idea she's not but she's not going i don't i can't imagine melissa sitting down and be like everybody's gonna think this is really cool it's yeah. more like everybody is going to feel like these women are lovely and delicate and pretty and dainty and like that in comparison to these men that are they're going to feel gruff and hairy and sweaty and you know and that sort of thing and and the different things but anyway i think that that's the idea is you go into trying to communicate that it's not like i want to draw it this way it's that i want to draw it and make you feel this way yeah she definitely executes on a level that um unless you're really paid attention for like the technique and things that she's doing it reminds me of um i think I want to say I'm about to quote the Full House TV show, but there's an episode where one of the girls is, is putting on makeup for the first time. And um, the I know that episode. Becky, I think her name yeah, was, she... tells the girl that the idea behind the makeup is to not make yourself look like you're wearing makeup. The successful makeup looks like you're just that beautiful without it. Right. And her artwork, to me, is just that beautiful without knowing these little tricks and techniques that she did. And then now that you point them out, it's like, oh, okay, well, now I can go back and read it and really appreciate the more work that I didn't see that she put into it the first time. Well, completely, complete honesty and transparency here. When we first ran into her stuff, we were walking around and we totally did a double take at her table. The art that she had up on her racks and stuff, it was like, what? Because that is so much higher level than most of the stuff you see in a artist's alley. Well, was- and it, in independent comics in general, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking about the amount of comics that we're going to be reading, that we do read, that we have read already, Brood Hollow sticks out to me as being amazing art. Mm-hmm. And this one sticks out to be as being amazing art and a lot of it i don't want to say amateur but it's you know it's independent level it's it's getting the comic out the door because that's what you've got to do this kind of artwork jumps out because of the level and because of the things like this that she does that really really make you go back and look at it again well that's why i was kind of razzing her you know when she was first i mean a long time ago when she was first talking about making a comic before she had even started this project when she was actually like she said in the interview talking about a different comic she wanted to make i asked her i said so are you going to are you going to simplify your art a little bit while you're doing these like a week, a, you know, page a week web comics? Or are you going to like kick your own ass with this like super cover quality that you do on everything? And she's like, no, I'm just going to do it the way I normally do it. 
she's kind of like, damn. I mean, it's just so, it's so much detail and so much, it's not simplified at all. You know, it's not like, oh, it's this big, you know, ornate, gorgeous cover. And then you flip inside and it's like, okay, it looks like a comic book. You know, it's not like that in here. And she's kicking her own, her own ass with the decision to not have any dialogue at all. That is such a huge decision. Well, and the decision. funny thing is she thinks like, it makes it easier, I know. you know, <laughs> which is, which is great because it's just, it shows you that she's not busy trying to work within the confines of what people expect or think or conventional wisdom suggests. She is, has a good working knowledge of how her workflow and she chooses things that is easier for her. And maybe other people might go, Ugh. well, I just really get the feeling she's making this work for herself first and foremost. And yeah. I think that's really what you want to do when you make your comics in general. It's great if other people like it, but if you're not doing something that's true to yourself, it's going to show through in some other way. Well, she set out to do this project to figure, like to force herself to figure out how to make a comic. Because she does all this beautiful cover work mm-hmm. and all these this fan art and, and, and original art. And that's been her wheelhouse for a long time. And she's wanted to make comics. And Above the Clouds is basically her saying – her putting herself in a position that forces her to actually put things in frames and make a deadline and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's, that's cool that this comic is very clearly like it's about her and figuring it out and growing for herself. And it by proxy, we all get to enjoy it. I look forward to meeting her just to ask her, because in the interview she said a couple of times that she didn't finish her last book because it was becoming too precious. And I got to know what she thinks too precious is. So I hope we get to see <laughs> well, what, what her last comic was. I've actually heard that specific word or that specific phrase before for a lot of things. And I think it's just people trying to refine something to yeah, death. It's paralyzed in preparation is what I took away from that. Where you, I've got, okay, I have a particular comic that I have been working on since I was like in high school. And it's it's never never than more than a couple sketches have gone down. It's all outlines, timelines, character sheets. Like I mean, but like not like character sheets is an eye color this blah blah blah. You know I mean like just pure huge amounts of detail and information because I want it to be perfect. And it's so precious to me that I'm not sure it's ever going to happen because I'm not willing to you know I mean obviously you don't want to get it good enough and just throw it out there. But there's a point where it's kind of like. You get sort of obsessive about polishing it, and it's like, no, 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 don't look at it. i got to polish it more. And it just gets to be excessive. And I think that that's what she was doing is that that other project – I mean, that's how what she was saying about being precious sort of fell on me, I, landed on me, was that that, that was what yeah. it was. That she was too sucked into polishing and paralyzed with that preparation. She wanted to be so perfect that it's – she got stuck in the creation process. I've specifically heard that in the context of three different painting classes during demos – during instructor demos and usually it's one of them the most the one i remember the most is in uh one of the color theory classes i've taken we're pretty much we're you know we're told to do a value scale whatever so the teacher goes look your most important thing is to get the work done not to get you know not to get too wrapped up into the brush strokes obviously i want you to do clean good work but i want i don't want this to be too precious you know you have to actually get the assignment done so that's that's usually what i hear in the context of but you know she could have something else added to we'll have to remember to ask her that question that would be really good to know. Maybe just, maybe as that... she listens to this, she can post in our comments the answer. Yeah, <laughs> please please bring your precious artwork too. I want to see that. <laughs> yes, what? it's good. They actually, you can see some of the some of the early work for that other one on her DeviantArt page. It's the character with the horns, I believe, uh, and a couple other stuff. That's but that's that's the one I, I think I remember her mentioning that she was working on previously. So I have a, a four year old who loves Disney movies, and I've seen the movie Tangled about five thousand times. <laughs> and as soon as they go to credits, they uh, they change the art style for the credits. I think they do the same thing in How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, and they kind of look a little similar. And her art style reminds me of those a lot. And something that that takes away from me is that uh, she's on the level of a professional artist and professional illustrator oh, that yeah. could be you know making a living doing this. 
Yeah, it really does feel like that. It's neat to not have someone at her skill level to be gobbled up by some, you know, big corporate art machine, but that she's actually saying, like, this is the story I want to tell. Yeah. You know, and, and putting it to paper. It's like what you get with the guys that are working for the big two, and then they drop their own thing out on IDW or Dark Horse or something like that because they've just got to get their story out there. Do you know what she does for a living? You know, off the top of my head, I do not. Hmm. I, th- I, sh- I should know. I probably did know at one point. I don't know. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she did illustration for a living. Yeah, I mean, I mean she's it, it shows animal. her work. She, I mean, but not so. only that, but she is at every convention you can think of. Yeah, she's like, constantly, constantly sitting behind a table throwing her art out. I mean, it happens it's, all the time where yeah. you have somebody who's a TV animator who just does this random stuff in their spare time, and they that's what they do when they come home is they plug this and work on this. Yep. One thing that I wanted to point out in particular that happened as early as page number two. There's a great shot of Ely, our main character, and she's sort of turning around and noticing the soldier that she's interested in. This is before she gets shut down, right? And there's a sort of recognition between the two of them that makes you think that he's looking at her. But of course, she ends up finding out that he's looking at the girl next to her. But what I thought was so cool was the scene, and it's this really slender little panel where she's looking over her shoulder and looking, being surprised and keeping in that same sort of watercolor painterly sort of look. There's not the there's not the action lines there's not the you know typical mechanics of describing oh surprise you know however what she did do was she went in and she took the same color that is there is in the background and lightened it a little bit and then created these three little lines which is what you would typically do something like that to make a character kind of go blink or like oh you know and it's so subtle that i almost didn't notice it on my first read through but the second time i went through it was kind of like oh because it helps to add it helps to describe the character's feeling at that moment, and it gives it that sort of surprised, popping kind of feel. Do you see that? Yeah, I do. It's interesting. It. And she does that a couple different times, and there's, it's real subtle. It's, it's typically, you know, almost like she went over with like a dodge or burn tool with what she already had there to suggest something that would normally be kind of intrusive in this kind of an environment with like big, thick lines or, you know, the explosion sort of spiky business to try and show surprise or whatever. Like that fits really well in something that's a little bit a little bit more iconic and paint and less painterly. So and to me that just really um just adds the the idea that I got earlier where she was where she doesn't want to break you out of the the trance that yeah. you're in when you're It's in a the trance. Book. That's good. I like that. Yeah, because you know those those marks again those marks are closer to writing in terms of you know just like mm-hmm. exclamation points, little uh on anything that's onomatopoeia, that kind of thing. So she's obviously very conscious and wants to keep the reader in her world. Definitely. One thing that I thought was really gorgeous was the way that she deals with things that are not in the foreground, but in the deep background. Not even like, I'm talking like way back. Stuff that some people might just color as like a solid thing or just leave out entirely or something like that. Something I noticed that she does a lot of the time, she does amazing silhouettes. And she uses that to great effect in many different situations. But one of the places that I thought was the most sort of interesting and natural was the stuff that, that's really deep in the background. And it's it's it goes through the sort of transition where you've got, you know, full rendered characters and then it gets deeper and deeper and the color starts to kind of wash out of them. And then pretty soon they're just a silhouette, but you still have that sort of darker line outlining them. And then eventually, far enough away, the scene I'm talking about in particular is the one where they're all feasting at a table. And there's a group of them that are way off at the end of the table. And instead of it being individual silhouettes, it's the group of them. It's like as if you shined a bright light against the group of people standing together and then took that, whatever, like bounces against the wall behind them. And it's this the outline of this whole group. And it's so cool because you know that she must have at least rendered a certain amount of them in that group to put that together and then just rung it with the outline. But it's just really cool because 
it, there's like several stages of more and more diminished as it gets deeper into the background. And I just thought that was really neat. You know, I mean, she uses the silhouette method and technique all throughout the comic. And it's very, very successful and effective and is used different ways to communicate different things. But that's one thing that I thought was really cool was that the stuff that was way deep into the background that it gets really sort of washed out color wise, palette wise, and then starts to get everybody starts to group together and it becomes like a shape instead of people, you know, right. but it's still very clear what's going on. Simplifies as it goes further back. Yeah, very cool. Um, now, actually, that's something I was wondering because her color palette throughout the comic is really rich, really gorgeous, yeah. really cool, really cohesive. Also, you know, not, you know, very autumn-y. definitely, definitely, yeah. certainly not like the schizophrenic quality that you get from people who clearly haven't studied color very much. Right, right. But that being said, the thing that I wondered about, what kept me wondering is there's nothing color wise or any or, or if there are, I, I'm not seeing it. There are visual cues between the book, the world and the book that the char- that the main character is reading mm. versus the world that the main character is inhabiting. And yeah, the color palette doesn't have a dramatic shift. That was my reflex to look for the color shift, because I right. guess it would have been the most obvious. But I, I realized, you know, when you were talking about the background forms, what I was actually trying to do is go through the pages and look, you know, because that scene you mentioned is in is during the storybook. So I was thinking, okay, well, what happens to the landscape when she's reading the book versus when, you know, versus when she's living her life? And it's really subtle. So I don't know if it's just because of the nature of the places that she's illustrating where, you know, it goes off into like the sort of dreamlike quality. So the lines are the shapes are looser and that sort of thing. Kind of like, um, I don't know, Chinese uh, brush prints or yeah, Yeah, Chinese brush paintings. Like the Taoist paintings. Yeah, definitely. So it definitely has that quality that reminds me of it. Also, there's a tree shaped like something you'd see out of those two. So I thought of that immediately. But so, yeah, I just kind of wonder, you know, I don't know if I want this or not, but I, I do tend to get a little bit of confusion visually with that world and, and the main character's world. So I wonder if that's going to be a plot point, a, yeah. an upcoming plot point. Yeah. You know, it, when, as you're saying that, it makes me wonder if there's something to what Marcus was suggesting is maybe these worlds are going to collide at some point. Right. That's why when he said that, I was like, oh, that would make all sorts of sense. wouldn't yeah, it? So we'll, we'll have to see how that turns out. But although I, to be fair, at the same yeah. time, she does have she does sort of transpose the story of the storybook over things that are happening to the character and where she is like it'll show part of the story and mm-hmm. what would be on the pages and then the actual narrative text will sort of cover up and wash over a scene that shows where she's sitting while she's reading right you know and so it does seem like there's not a real defined clear line like now we're watching the story and it's totally d- yeah. different like it's it's this sort of very organic kind of mixture of the two i think it might rely on your sense of pacing and your sense yeah. of time I, mean, I didn't ever find myself confused as to which world i was looking at you know oh yeah i was, so, uh, yeah. I was thinking in terms of if you look at a page out of context I'm sure like, okay yeah. okay hmm, where, well where this am is I definitely in? a story meant to be told yeah. in a row it's not definitely. it's not like a you know page a day but um yeah sort of, so sort if of you're complete thought each page kind of thing yeah definitely so if you're picking up week to week you know you might not need to go back and forth and contextualize yourself again but it's great that it's so immersive like that mm-hmm. any other thoughts you guys no i mean it's an amazing comic um it's one that i'm going to keep reading there's one final piece i wanted to say and it's it's uh, i believe just in the beginning of issue two so you'll only be able to see this online if you meet her in a convention. There is this, I want to say it's like a double wide page. And what's cool is it's the part where she's running away, like off into the forest to try and have some like alone time. And it's this gorgeous, gorgeous shot where there's two images. 
well, I guess several, but essentially there's two layers of images. There's the image that occupies the entirety of the two-page spread in the background, the left of which has the detail of her running off towards this forest. But the rest of it is is as it would exist if it was a snapshot and she was just squished to the left side of the page. You know, there are hills and sky and clouds and everything. But the rest of the page, being that there's not actual like story and you know important information over there, she covers it up with panels that further explains what's going on. But there's definitely this two-layer thing going on, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's really gorgeous to look at. Right, and like the lower image, not only is it beneath as far as if you were like to be stacking these, like if these different elements of the page were, you know, cut out pieces of paper and you were to stack them on top of each other, it's, it's very clear that it's behind, but also the colors are more muted and the lines are a little bit paler. So almost like an opacity drop, but it's not really an opacity drop. You know, it looks like it was drawn. I don't know. I don't know how quite i'm not going to um, suggest how she achieved that but it has this sort of muted washed out look just less saturated colors yeah exactly and and it's cool because i read through it and there was absolutely no confusion about what was going on but it's such an unconventional way to 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 lay out a page that i came back to it and was like shit that is cool <laughs> so anyway i just wanted to kind of gush about that page because that was almost more than any other page layout wise probably the one of the most brilliant points in the comic if i think if you're curious it's from uh, september 17th Chapter two, page four and five. So, yeah. So chapter two. So it is a double page spread. So it's chapter two, page four and five. Like that is, I would love to have a poster of that. Like that's really cool. So, well, final thoughts, guys. I mean, it goes back to what you said at the very beginning. It's one of those things where artwork at this level is kind of hard to talk about a lot because it's so good. Yeah. You do. I mean, that's probably why, like Pinky likes to say, that's that sort of second read stuff. Like that's why my laundry list of things to comment about very quickly stepped out of the, it's so pretty look at that and moved into the really subtle below the surface sort of like under the hood stuff well i think a lot of times we're reading books and we're used to talking about fundamentals just because we notice that you know there's some missing fundamentals for a lot of the art and i'm not saying that that's a bad you know i'm not saying that that makes the art terrible or anything anything like that it just means that the art is in a certain place compared to some other artists sure and that's totally fine and this is what you need to do this is why you need to get more art out is because at some point, that doesn't matter. Like, we're not sitting here picking apart whether or not she drew a hand in perfect perspective anymore because it sort of doesn't matter after a certain point. No, not at all. Yeah, no, we were just really waiting for her to, to expose more of the story. I think that's... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can only imagine how much time... I would love to, like, ask her or find out, like, w- the time it takes to do one page. Because, I mean, it's detailed stuff. Yeah, it, it is. really is. It's complex on so many levels. The line art's complex. The layout is interesting. The color is gorgeous. There's these really very well-used textures that have this sort of paper-type quality. almost has like this kind of rice paper sort of parchment look on things. But it's not – it really looks like it was drawn all traditional media, but it obviously is not. But it has – she really achieves a very realistic sort of look. Like you could be flipping through pages of this like rich, you know, parchment book that has this, you know – I almost imagine this being in like gold-lined parchment paper. It should exist in print. It should. Yeah, it should. It really should. I'm looking forward to the trade in the end when she finishes the story. It'll be a hell of a cool thing to have in my collection. (laughs) So we've been talking about Above the Clouds by Melissa Pegluisa. You can read it on at cloudscomic.com. Make sure to follow her on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is Dark Sun Rose, spelled just the way it sounds. She's also Dark Sun Rose on DeviantArt as well as Tumblr. There's a lot of really cool stuff of hers up on a lot of those places. She's pretty active on DeviantArt and has a great bunch of stuff. And Marcus, that's where you're going to want to go to check out some of her other stuff from the comics you mentioned. Definitely. So, yeah, thank you so much for talking to us at the convention. We look so much forward to hanging out with you next couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening to Geek Life. 
We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. You can go ahead and fill out the form on podcast.pandamanga.com to send us an email as well if you'd rather not type it out into your email client. I know some people rather just do that. So, yeah, so we try and make it easy for you guys to talk with us. Make sure to leave a comment below if you have something to say or have a question or anything like that. And, of course, hopefully Melissa will answer some of the questions that we had in the podcast. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured in this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Neuro, and we'll see you next time. Bye.